Hi guys. It's still sober with John Rabin. Hello again. Thanks for joining me. Episode 179. Posting on December 8th, 2021. How are you? If you're a sober person, I hope you're staying sober. If you're not a sober person, I hope you're staying sane. I'm staying sane and sober. As far as I know, it's uh, it's another week. Uh, the news is still freaking out about the Omicron variant, even though people are like, hey, it looks like it's uh, more contagious but mild. Great. Thanks. I'll just keep doing what I'm fucking doing then, right? Is it, can I go back to, yeah, I've been just doing what I'm doing. I hope you're doing what you're doing. Um, so... This is, uh, I was like, is this going to be a short episode or a long episode? And then I realized the difference between a short episode and a long episode of my little uh, diary here is about eight minutes. That's, that's, so does it matter? I don't know if it does. I wanted to tell you, though, something that happened today. Um, that I, I I finally figured out um, because I tomorrow um, I'm recording this on this week I recorded this on Tuesday so tomorrow about the time that this is posting um, I'm going to work and on Wednesday is our weekly meetings and it's a team meeting and I don't like team meetings most people don't but yeah so. Because let's let's face it, it doesn't matter the size of your company. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a corporation. I've worked for corporations. Uh, I worked for Apple Computer for six years. Um, I've worked for large organ. I've worked, and then this one's the smallest company I've worked for. Um, the uh, employees total four, three actually, and then the uh, the owner of the company is the fourth, I guess. Um, but we also meet with other members of the uh, sister organization, a.k.a. the owner's wife's company, which is larger, and then we work together. Anyway, um, so, but the thing about it is, is that it doesn't matter the size of the company. The team meeting is just as useless. It's just as big of a waste of time. Does not matter the size. I, I don't know why... They have them. I don't know if there is, from a management standpoint, if it's like, you know, there is a benefit to getting everybody together to, you know, in a socialize, to socialize a, a, a bit, to connect and uh, communication lines can be open and they can talk. Ah, here's the thing. Here's what I've learned is there are things that are positive that come out of a meeting that things can can uh, but a, a lot of it most of it is just being told things that management have decided and ideas and things that you know are going or you know they, they getting feedback that they don't actually use you know, that they kind of like to make you feel like you're contributing and then they continue to do what they're going to do. It doesn't matter if it's a good company or bad company. This just feels 
you know, and it's not, it's not that their decisions are wrong. It's not that I'm, you know, I'm like, I wish I had more of a say. Uh, there's a short in this that I keep forgetting um, in the microphone. So, you know, it's, there are, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not that I'm, that I want, I, I'm fine with, you know, not getting my input for every single thing that I'm not part of the management team because my feedback goes directly to my boss. I talk to him every day. He takes my information. That's, that's kind of why I, I, I think that meetings are, it's more of a, a formal, get your input. And then we're going to continue to do what we were going to do anyway. Um, but there, like I said, there are positive aspects that happen. However, every single thing that happens in a meeting that lasts for at least an hour, sometimes two. Everything that you can get out of a meeting can be communicated to you via email, one email. And any kind of back and forth problem solving that can be done in a meeting can also be done through email or a chat program. It's that doesn't, you don't have to have it. You can do a back and forth over the course of a day while you go about actually getting real work done instead of sitting there while people shoot ideas back and forth and go, yeah, that's a great idea that will half-ass start and then just abandon because of how much of a time waste it is which is what meetings do. Ideas are generated. People love to have ideas. Um, it's like the guy I talked about that, uh, that came to work one whole day for us, um, a temp guy who was an idea man but uh, had a shitty work ethic. It's the same. That's the whole thing. People love to come up with ideas to solve problems, because it feels like you're actually doing something. You're not. It's why politics suck. It's a bunch of people who are older than your parents talking and trying to solve problems while also making themselves money. But they like to talk about stuff. They never actually do anything because they don't do the work. They just like talking. It's all bullshit. Doing is actually... so. Anyway, so my whole problem has been going to these meetings and about 10 minutes of the meeting is important to me and my job. The rest of the meeting is a waste of my time, I feel. The truth is probably more closer to the middle that a lot of it's a waste of time, but you probably also need to know that that's probably, the truth is probably, eh, it's probably more than that. But I feel that 10 minutes, and this is, you know, this is no, not slamming anybody that I, I, I work for or have worked for. And I'm saying that in case somebody I work with actually listens to this episode. Hi guys. But the thing is, they know, even if they heard this, they know, I've said this, I have actually said, this is a waste of my time in a meeting more than once. Because <laughs> they know who I am and, you know, and I'm pretty open that there's no, there, I've nobody that I've worked with has ever, has ever gone, 
what's John thinking? So, but this is what I've, uh, I've gone on too long talking about this, but I've come up with a solution because I feel like the meeting's been a waste of my time that I could be doing actual work. So because my, the company I worked for is willing to give me overtime as much as I want to work, why not take advantage of that and then just plan on Wednesday working an extra hour? That way, when I have the meeting, I can't be like, fuck, this is a waste of my time. I'm going to, it's like being paid for an hour break and then doing that extra hour at the end of the day. But I've planned it because that's really what it is. It's the, this is how much work I want to get done, but you're taking away from me. I'm taking it personally. You're taking away from my time. When in fact, if I, if I plan on it, if I plan on that extra hour and everything, it's that whole control issue thing with me. I don't take it personally because it's planned that this is going to happen. You planned out your work, by you, I mean me. I planned out my work so that that extra hour, it's all, you know, it doesn't feel like uh, an assault on my time. (laughs) It's setting boundaries. And I realize this. I'm setting boundaries. Not, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you got to set boundaries, you know, to protect yourself. No, 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 no. I'm setting boundaries to protect you from me and my mouth when I get angry because you're wasting my time. So rather than get in a position where I mouth off because you're wasting my time, I'm setting it up to where you're not it, you're not really wasting my time. Therefore, I don't have to make you upset by the things that I say. Not verbally assaulting people, but just the whole, my whole critical, sarcastic, you know, nature um, when it comes to um, talking about bullshit that, uh, that is a waste of my time. So that's, that's what I've come up with. I set boundaries to protect you from me. Huh? By the way, if you're just, if this is the first episode of Still Sober um, that you've, that you've heard and you're confused, you're like, is this guy an asshole? Let me explain. Or if you've missed the ones where I've talked about work, I am not a difficult person to work with if you work hard, if you do your job. I'm difficult to work with if you don't. As long as you meet the bare minimum of what you're supposed to do, you have no problems with me. It's the other way. If you can't, if you can't even reach mediocrity, you're going to think that I'm an asshole or that I'm difficult to work with. And that's by design. I do that because people who suck at their job, when they know that I'm a pain in the ass, they will do whatever it is to keep me away from them and from hearing from me. So them, sh- them sucking at their job, right? 
if they try to avoid me, the things that they suck at that will that would normally affect me because I'm difficult, they'll get done. So it doesn't affect me and I'll leave them alone and then they can continue to suck in their own lane. Don't suck in my lane. You go suck in your lane. Huh? Yeah. That's my strategy. Because I don't care. I don't care. You can go home and tell your boyfriend or girlfriend, that guy's kind of a dick. It's fine. It's fine. We don't live together and hang out later. You know, I'm not going to see you outside of work. It's fine. All right. This is random, but I wanted to get this in here because I had I had heard um, people like to bring up 80s movies that are outdated or that are problematic, as they say. Um, and they're right about a lot of them. Like, I love John Hughes films. I mean, I grew up, you know, in that time where I was the same age in school as a lot of people in those movies. I mean, they were a little bit old. They were older, but like, but just by a few years. So, it, like, you really related to the, you know, that's what growing up was like. But... Um, but so, so there are, you know, they bring up different things like, you know, like 16 candles or like revenge of the nerds that you're like, holy shit, that's not cool. And I get it. There's a lot of stuff, but my, my problem has always been when people bring up, uh, people who are, um, you know, that guy's, you know, that guy's sexist or that guy's racist or that guy's whatever in, in the past, they don't, they do it out of context you know, it's it's never you're like, yes, that guy is sexist or that that movie or whatever. That movie is sexist now. If they made that or if that guy acted that way now, yeah, that's fucked up. Whatever that guy's doing. However, in comparison to that time, how are they compared to everybody else? Because honestly, Comparatively speaking, everybody in the 80s was sexist and racist. It's just, and comparatively speaking, everybody sucked compared to now in that kind of, because it's, it's an evolution kind of a thing. However, I bring all this up because sometimes what people bring up, and this happened recently in a conversation, people will bring up one um, um uh, oh, what is it say anything thank you I almost said better off dead but that's you know I love that movie but people will say say anything is messed up because what John Cusack does in that movie when he's holding up the boom box that that was problematic that that's you know that there's something wrong with that. And I have to defend Lloyd, John Cusack's character. I have to defend him because if you consider the way people were in the 80s already, and then you're you're focusing on the, the guy who, by the way, doesn't stalk her. 
one time goes out there at a reasonable distance, by the way, not right outside the window, you know, from going, hey, and then cranking up, like from a distance, not on the property, all the way turns the music up that they lost their virginity to, the uh, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, which is a great song. It's not like it's, and, and only played it once, by the way. It's not like he was like, you know, where there's, uh, there's like a hostage situation or there's people barricaded and they won't come out so that the cops keep playing, um, you know, this, you know, safety dance on repeat for 24 hours or love shack until they'll finally go fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the fuck out of here. It's not like that. It's, he played it one time. All right. But here's the thing that people forget. They forget the plot of the movie. They're, they're all like, that's terrible. He's stalk, you know, he's, you know, why doesn't he leave her alone kind of a deal? I'm like, she broke up with him for no reason because her deadbeat piece of shit dad, the, um, the dad from Frasier, um, who ran an old folks home was stealing, who, who was stealing money from old people and dead people and profiting off of dead people. He told her to break up with, told Ioni Sky to break up with John Cusack because he wasn't good enough for her. Which, I mean, guy needed goals. He really was. But he, you know, but, but regardless, didn't do anything. So she dumps him without a reason. Just leaves him in the dirt. You know, because her, her, her shitty ass dad, you know, manipulated her into doing so. And then wouldn't give him an explanation and totally. And so it's like of all the ways that, that guys can react Playing the song once from a from a far distance, from a reasonable distance, so that you remember, and then leaving you alone. You can only dream of having an ex like that. Oh, and then also, then she goes back, and then she goes back when he's finally almost over, you know, going about his day in the middle of kickboxing. I don't know why he was a kickboxer. Um, then she's like, "Hey, I'm sorry." Anyway, hey, you know, I found out my dad's a piece of shit, and uh, so now I can, you know. So how dare she? I'm just defending, you know. There's a lot of John Cusack movies where he he does some weird-ass shit, and you're like, man, eh, I don't know about this movie. But say anything, I'm defending him. I was wondering if maybe, you know, I'm like, eh, am I talking, the movie, the, the references that I make, are they too old? And I'm like, no, because most people who listen to me are old enough to, to get up. You know, I don't have anybody, I don't have, I don't have the TikTok generation is, is listening to this fucking podcast. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So, but you get me, right? All right, good. Hey, real quick. Um, wanted to let you know there is a uh, there was a guest essay in the opinion section of the New York Times um, today, or at least it's dated on December sixth. So that's actually yesterday. So two days by the time you get it, you can probably do a search. But the uh, if you want to do a search in Google News, maybe might pull it up. Um, the essay is t- entitled "Opioids Feel Like Love." That's why they're deadly in tough times. 
Uh, it's an interesting read. I, I, it's, it's not very long, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I recommend it um, just to kind of look at it. It's, it's some interesting, um, you know, an interesting concept about it and, um, you know, explaining why and also explaining why, um, you know, with all, with all the, uh, the overdoses during the pandemic and everything uh, and talking about how, uh, you know, understanding the social nature, I'm quoting the one, this one line I'll quote, the understanding the social nature of opioids and addiction should help policymakers better care for those who suffer uh, from it. And uh, I disagree with that. Um, it should. No, I mean, it should help poly. I, say, I, I wouldn't disagree with this line because it's, say, it's saying that the uh, understanding the social nature should help policymakers better care for those who suffer. It, they should. They won't. I, I don't know. You know, they just they they won't. It should help. But they don't do anything. Even in numbers, and I guess because I guess it was easier when there wasn't uh, there wasn't other things, you know, that without the pandemic and everything um, that you could focus if you had, you know, if you had the numbers seventy five thousand as overdose deaths by itself without uh, COVID. I guess would be more shocking, but I don't think that they're, they're going to do anything. Um, so, but it's, it's interesting to, you know, see if there's anything in there that might, uh, that might help reinforce something for you. Um, is if it's something to forward to somebody who might need more understanding about, uh, opioid addiction specifically, you know, where they can wrap their heads around alcoholism, but not uh, drug addiction with like heroin. Like, how do you get in? How would somebody even Why would you possibly do heroin? Well, I did it because I thought it was cool and it felt great um, because that's just what I was into. Because because when you're in a certain mindset, a little self-destruction is kind of fun. It's actually really fun for a while. And then it gets then it gets to where it's not. Then it's no more because that's the whole thing is that um, you know heroin for me never felt like comfort. It wasn't a comfort thing. It was a I just liked the way it felt, and you know I was just uh, you know I I wanted to I was not escaping from reality uh, so much maybe a little bit but I was escaping boredom. I'm like no this is this is who I want to be. I want to be a little self-destructive and reckless and rock starish and all that stuff. That's the reason I went, you know. And, and at some point, and the problem with addiction, with with drugs, and with heroin specifically for me, is that you get to a certain point that it's no longer you're doing it for fun. You're doing it because you have to, and then you're doing it, yeah, so that you can, you know, get to normal so you can go about your day. You, it's suddenly part of who you are and what you do. So, so I don't know about the comfort. That was, that was not where I went. That's not where I was in my life. It's, it's interesting how people, you know, you can end up in the same, you know, the same spot, but you all have different reasons on how, you know, you you all followed a different path to get here, but we're all hooked on it. Here we are. You know, we all have our different reasons, but we're all here. 
Um, and I, and in that kind of mindset, there's different ways to get out of it. Um, I will say about that though, is the, uh, that you have to understand that, you know, the government's not going to create a program that's going to save you. You know, there's not an organization that has a program that's going to save you. The idea, I like the analogy, somebody said that, that it's, um, you know, because people will talk about your personal responsibility and the problem is, is that most people who tout that you need to take responsibility for your actions in your life, they do it in a very accusatory way to where like this is your fault you need to fix it so when you hear take responsibility you hear you know that you know this is all your fault so you need to fix it but taking responsibility doesn't mean that you did it that it's your bad that's not what responsibility is the 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 analogy that i heard is um you are not at fault it's not your fault that your car broke down. But your car is your responsibility. So you have to get it taken care of. It doesn't mean just because the car is your responsibility doesn't mean that it's your fault that it's fucked up. It might be. You might have run it off the road, not paying attention. But, you know, maybe it just broke down. But it's your response. The car is your responsibility. You got to get it fixed. So it's not about blame. But there is the mindset that you need to do it. So keep that in mind that you have to figure out. Yeah, if you're going to. You know, when it comes to recovery, when it comes to getting sober, that um, hopefully, you know, You've got to find your. You've got to find all the uh, the resources that you can, and this you need. You get as much support. You know, you don't do it alone. But what you do alone is you have the mindset you you are responsibility for your recovery and your sobriety. You know, no one's going to save you. You're going to save you, and you'll need help. That's. Well, that's, that's how I'm going to end it, I think. All right? That sounds like a good, like, yeah. Yeah, John. How did you do it? How did you take responsibility? How did you? Well, I went to jail. Anyway, <laughs> I took responsibility. and made my decision. Then I went to jail because of my actions previous before I made that decision and went, oh, right. Okay, well, this this just, man, jail just reinforces this bullshit, let me tell you. I think I'll uh, remain sober from now on. And it's worked. Maybe you'll find a different path. I suggest you do. Jail's not great. Well, thanks for joining me this week. Um, hang in there. Uh, watch out for yourself. Without, watch out for your friends and family. Make sure you get a lot of uh, exercise. Take vitamin D. Build up that immune system. Zinc. Zinc's good. Um, get sleep. Um, and, uh, you know, do something for yourself. All right. That's enough. If you uh, have any uh, uh, 
comments or questions, stillsoberpod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll see you next week. Later. <laughs>